This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with therapist Dr. Monique. ASB Cash, the affiliate program for Adult Site Broker, would like to announce we've doubled our affiliate payouts. That's right. Now when you refer sellers or buyers to us at Adult Site Broker, you'll receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. You can either place a link to us on your site or refer buyers and sellers through an email introduction. ASB Cash is the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer for sale a profitable industry-recognized dating network with a unique channel for genuine female adult dating traffic. The company was launched in 2010. It was nominated Best Dating Program by XBiz in 2012 and AVN in 2013. They've generated nearly 200,000 profiles of real women to the dating network and continue to add approximately 5,500 new women each month through natural search results and unpaid link placement. These women have created sexy profiles and uploaded photos to attract men, and most have supplied a government-issued photo ID. These profiles can be imported into any dating or cam network. The network's traffic is 91% direct and 8% organic search. Geo-targeting services run off MaxMind data. They've never marketed to their list or members outside their own network of dating sites, so this is a huge opportunity for anyone interested in marketing similar dating offers or other adult content and services. The main developer is available to continue as a contractor. Only $372,000. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Dr. Monique. Dr. Monique, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Dr. Monique is a mental health therapist contracted with Pineapple Support who provides therapy and coaching services to performers around the world. By the way, uh, Adult Site Broker Talk is a sponsor of Pineapple Support and we believe very strongly in what they do. Uh, she earned a doctorate in behavioral health with a primary focus in health psychology from Arizona State University. She also holds a master's in mental health counseling with an emphasis in crisis and trauma from Walden University. She's a longtime therapeutic practitioner who has a unique passion for working with professionals in the adult industry and sex workers of all sexual expressions. She's contracted, as I said, with Pineapple Support and works daily to destigmatize mental health and sex workers. In her experience, she's noticed that sex work is an industry that lacks a safe space for sex workers to be their authentic selves. As a result, her longtime goal has been to connect and help her clients develop better emotional, cognitive, and positive coping skills 
while valuing, respecting, and providing sex workers with the dignity they deserve. She brings an effective blend of experience, clarity, concern, and action to the therapeutic process in order to maximize treatment outcomes, provide genuine healing, and wholesomeness to her clients so they can make positive changes in their life. Now, she has a private practice, Rose LLC, that's based in Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. In her work with um, sex workers, and she does up to 16 sessions of therapy, regardless of location. Um, And sorry, Dr. Monique, that's all the time we have for today. Just kidding. Um, So (laughs) how did you first get interested in working with sex workers? Um, I've always been kind of an outcast. The majority of my close friends, close female friends are sex workers, Mm. um, or they work in the adult industry from Arizona to California to Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have been a part of, of my, of my own personal growth. Sure. And I figured the only way for me to give back to them, other than going and supporting them at their events or at their clubs or wherever they might be performing at, um, would be, you know, to to work with sex workers on a more intimate level and create that safe space for them. That's fantastic. Yes, sex workers definitely are outcast by society. And to find somebody like yourself who um, has that commitment, that's, uh, that's really fantastic. Yes, it's um, definitely rewarding for me. Yeah, it would be rewarding because, okay, it, you know, it, when you're dealing with a group of people that others don't want to work with, it must be really nice to be dug in with that group. Yeah. So, um, is sex worker counseling all you do, or do you work with non-sex workers? Yeah, so it's actually not all I do. It's, so, half of my private practice is adults, and half of those adults are sex workers, mm-hmm. or in the adult industry. And then the other half are non-sex workers, and then the other half, so the other 50%, are yeah. children. Ah. Children and families. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, what do you what do you see the differences between the issues sex workers face and non-sex workers? For me, I would say my experience in the last couple of years kind of post-covid has been um just the stigma around the job. Yeah. Or the jobs. That's about it. Okay. Okay, can can you get into a little more detail on that? Yeah, so I mean, when someone comes in, even if they're referred through pineapple support, they don't know, they don't know that I know that they're a sex worker unless I tell them. Right. Um, So they don't, there's a place on my intake form that says, um, will you tell me about your employment history? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, are you currently employed? And most people leave that blank, even non-sex workers leave that blank. So it's something that I always have to bring up during the first session. Hmm. After we chop it up for the first 15, 20 minutes, I ask them, so, you know, do you need a, do you need an excuse for missing work today? Hmm. And then usually it comes out then, well, no, because I work for myself, this is what I do. Or yes, I do. Can you give me an excuse? Hmm. Like a doctor's note. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that sex workers are less likely to tell you what they do or more likely? Um, I would say after the first like 15, 20 minutes, they're more likely to tell me everything. Mm-hmm. 
They're more open. Okay. And I also don't look like a lot of therapists. I think uh, when they come in or they read my credentials online, they expect something. Mm -hmm. So I try and have all of my social media and stuff kind of reflective of me. I post pictures of myself. I post pictures of my family, my husband. Mm -hmm. I don't look like the typical therapist. (laughs) You know, they expect they're going to walk in and you're going to have like this cookie cutter person in a suit or something um, laying on a couch with a clipboard. And that's not that's not what I do. Yeah. Uh, What's been your impression over time um, in um, sex worker um, just issues? I mean, what issues are common with them? I'd say the most common ones are um, relationships, like how to manage mm. relationships, well-being in the industry. Is that something even that's possible? Is it something that's looked down upon? Um, the other big one you know, are addictions. Oh, yeah. Um, so drugs, alcohol, even recreational alcohol, recreational marijuana, tobacco, everything. Too much of something is bad. Too much of right. anything is bad. Too much coffee is bad. Hmm. Those well, are I'm, probably the sorry. top two. Okay. What about trauma? Yeah, definitely a lot of trauma. And okay. usually once we get into those first two topics, trauma always comes up. Okay. Um, when you're dealing with trauma with sex workers, what are your biggest challenges? Um, I'd say the, the first biggest challenge is for them to say out loud to a stranger. Yeah. what what their trauma is yeah um i always tell people you know in that first session like i've been on the other side of the couch i've been on the other side of the couch as a mom mm. as a human being in many different forms yeah um throughout my whole entire life and as a wife and as a girlfriend and as an addict um and really? so once i once i kind of give them some self disclosure and let them know they're talking to another human being with mm-hmm. alphabet suit behind their name to help mm-hmm. them through their journey, they're usually able to open up. So you've had addiction problems yourself? Definitely. Oh, wow. Do you want to get into any details? Um, my choice of drug was cocaine. Oh, wow. And in 2005, my eldest daughter's dad was murdered. And Ooh. that's what I did to cope for a long time. Oh, and it took, you know, lots of things to happen basically yeah. the the world took that energy and did with it what it did and told me i need to get my head out of my ass yeah or i was going to lose my kid and you uh you express your experiences you tell them what you've been through yeah if i find it's going to be helpful for the therapeutic relationship or for the therapy whatever's going on with them especially if i sense like some hesitation I'll mm-hmm. let them know, here, let me tell you something about me so yeah. you don't see me. Because a lot of times people come in and, and they see, oh, a therapist, well, they're holier than thou. And that yeah. can be furthest from the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about the trauma that you went through, obviously, with the murder. Um, uh, talk about that and talk about how it relates to the trauma that you see in sex workers in general. I know you can't get into specifics with clients, but 
uh, talk about the, the, the differences and uh, the similarities. I would say the only differences would be like the act of trauma. So my trauma was being a homicide survivor. Um, yeah. And their trauma, some of them have very same, you know, similar stories or, you know, they are homicide survivors themselves. Mm. They refer to them as something else. I always refer to everyone who survived anything as a survivor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so just, the act, the actual trauma act is different, but everything else is the same. The grief that goes along with it. Um, you know, I think now there's nine stages of grief. So nine stages of grief in and out over the course of many years and many therapists and medication, even for me personally. And, you know, there's still bouts where I get sad and that's what happens with people is they work through it. They feel like, okay, I've come to a place in my journey where I've accepted this. And then mm -hmm. Lo and behold, you're driving down the street and something comes on your, uh, you know, playlist and you're, mm -hmm. you're in your feelings again, <laughs> takes you back to whatever happened. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was that? Well, it was in 2005. Wow. It's been some time already. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But yeah, in 17 years, that doesn't go away. No, not, not when you have a kid that looks like him every day. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. I, I, I can't imagine actually. So what types of trauma do you face dealing with sex workers? What are some of the acts of trauma? Uh, when we talk about sex workers, I know we're talking about adult performers, but we're also talking about uh, prostitutes, um, to, <laughs> to use a uh, slang word. Um, and I'm sure in Las Vegas, you come across a lot of those, um, it being one of the prostitution capitals of America. Um, what, um, types of trauma do you come across in dealing with your clients? Um, and say a lot of trauma related to consent. So sexual mm. trauma, um, okay. addiction, trauma, a lot of domestic violence, like, um, intimate intimate violence intimate intimate partner violence ipv is a new term um right. so a, a lot of a lot of violence like that um and then you know for my clientele i'd say of the 25 percent sex workers that i work with about 10 to 15 percent of them have children so mm -hmm. just trauma related to their children yeah that they deal with as a parent Okay. Now, the sex workers that deal with clients out there, um, do you find that there's a lot of violence against them that they relate to you? Um, I'd say since, so during quarantine, yes. Mm -hmm. And then since Las Vegas has kind of opened back up to kind of run normally, if you will, mm -hmm. um, it's minimized, or at least from what's reported to me. Interesting. Interesting. Now, the, the people with children, what kind of traumas do they go through? Um, well, things is like getting their kids into school. Um, the majority of my clients have kids that are like in middle school. Uh, middle mm -hmm. schoolers look, that, look up on the internet, lots of things. So the potential of, you know, some, some parent getting found out like, hey, your mom does this or hey, your dad does this and yeah. kind of forecasting what is that conversation going to look like or if it's already happened yeah 
let's figure out how we can make it an open conversation to not make them feel uncomfortable or you feel uncomfortable as a parent. Do you find most of your sex worker clients that their kids know what they do? Um, I'd say it's like half and half. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I would imagine that um, for the other half, well, for both halves, it probably creates issues, right? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. I don't know if you have kids, Bruce, but no. kids will throw anything in your face. Oh. Parent or I no will, parent. I was a kid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got picked on bloody. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I understand. Uh, I understand how cruel children can be. I think everyone can because they were all kids at one point. So, yes, and I can only imagine. I mean, what happens when somebody uh, works in porn? Okay, works an adult. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's face it, okay, kids sadly are able to get on the internet and look at um, adult content. What happens generally when uh, a client of yours gets found out and they come to you? It's usually a conversation. I process it with them. Um, and when I say process, we go through it. All like, how was it brought to your attention? What did you feel in that moment? What are you feeling now in that moment telling me? What can we do to work through it? A lot of times we'll have to bring the child in and they have a session with me, their parent, their kind of me as a mediator, just to kind of get everything out in the open. Right. And I guess having children as clients definitely helps that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I have lots of cool things in my offices, in my <laughs> office too. So I have like a sand tray, I have Legos. So a lot of times, even I think my adults play more with the sand tray or the kinetic sand. <laughs> I have like these little emoticons I can send you a picture of. And <laughs> the adults play more with those than the kids do. <laughs> oh, we're all big kids now, aren't we really? Definitely. <laughs> now, how can uh, your mental health cause burnout? Well, what do you define? How do you define burnout? Can I ask you that? How do I define it? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Um, why don't you tell me how you define it? <laughs> so for me, <laughs> when someone comes in and they're telling me, hey, Dr. Monique, I'm feeling, let's see, I'm feeling one of the big trigger words this year has been um, imposter syndrome, thanks to TikTok mm. and all that. So I have lots of clients oh. coming in, sex workers, and they tell me I'm feeling very imposterish. Like I play this person on scene, or I play this person at work. And then I come home and I'm just me. Mm. And so there's a lot of self doubt, uh, senses of failure, not being good enough, mm -hmm. uh, feeling helpless or defeated or even trapped, um, feeling okay. detached. So like, you know, they can be working these wonderful jobs, have a great, you know, CV, but leave and, and just feel completely like not themselves, like they're no longer there. A lack of motivation is another sign of burnout. Mm -hmm. um, having like a cynical or negative outlook, mm -hmm. um, decreased satisfaction in things mm -hmm. that they once liked, mm. um, like having no, no sense of accomplishment, essentially. Hmm. You mentioned motivation. So how can 
your mental health affect your motivation and what do you do about it as a therapist? So your mental health can affect motivation in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know if too many people know this, but I was taught in my master's program that there's five stages of burnout. There's a honeymoon phase, which Mm -hmm. is where you feel so burnt out, but you know you got to do it. So it's like uh, the stage that comes with lots of energy, lots of optimism, lots Mm -hmm. of motivation. Hmm. Um, There's the onset of stress phase, which comes right around when that honeymoon phase dwindles out Hmm. and you start to experience the stress. So I don't know if you've ever done like so many podcast recordings in a week and you feel like, oh yeah, I'm so, so, you know, happy and excited and motivated to do it. And then comes like the next week and you've just like completely (laughs) pummeled into the hole and you're like, oh my God, I got to edit these now. Or I don't know what the process is, but you're just like, ugh. So that's the onset stress phase of burnout. Okay. I get it. There's chronic, chronic stress phase where that onset phase continues and it doesn't go away. Then it's the actual burnout phase and then habitual burnout phase where you just don't, don't come out of it and you need to find help. And once someone comes to you with that fifth phase, how do you get them out of it? Well, hopefully they come to me by like the second or third phase. But if Hmm. I get them at the fifth stage, then I have to sit with them and kind of reevaluate what got them there. Yeah. And that's really hard for people because in that moment, all they can think about is what got them to therapy in that very moment. Yeah. Where they are. Right. Yeah. It's not until we meet three or four times that they're like, okay, well, I remember two months before I reached out to pineapple support and got paired with you, I was going through A, B and C. Mm. And then we're able to kind of bring it back to light. Mm -hmm. I call it rake through it. So I imagine Mm -hmm. like, we live a life of leaves and when we're experiencing burnout, it turns into a big pile of leaves that we just land in. Okay. And then you need someone to help you rake that out. And I'm there to help you rake out through everything. We make mm. piles and we throw some stuff away, mm-hmm. some other stuff we don't need anymore. Right. So how are sex workers with past unresolved traumas affected by sex worker experiences? In my experience thus far working with sex workers, what I'm coming to the conclusion to is that a lot of sex workers who have unresolved trauma mm-hmm. are in sex work to resolve that trauma. Interesting. Yeah. Sex work offers a lot of freedom to people mm-hmm. um, who have previously been in a in a controlling, you know, domestic violence relationship or controlling family life a lot of older siblings and middle children. And if you're going to come for me, I'm sorry, but I'm a middle child. So, so I understand that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a beginning middle and end child. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. And so I think a lot of, again, in my experience with my clientele, a lot of these performers have unresolved traumas that they're working through actively and that that's Mm -hmm. what's kind of pushed them to the sex work industry. So once they do that, and you said a lot of them are uh, coming into sex work to try to confront their traumas, do those traumas get healed or do they not get healed or what ends up happening in most cases? I would say... Well, I don't know. I don't know in most cases, but I know with the clients that 
that I see that I or clients who who are proactive on their mental health and ask for help probably have a have a higher rate of working through that trauma. Mm -hmm. I think other times it goes the other way where like those addictions take into place. They go back into, Mm -hmm. you know, negative, unhealthy relationships, not just with significant others, but even with family members Mm -hmm. or with with work environments. Mm -hmm. I mean, in most cases, do you think that sex workers are totally healthy, and I'm probably getting in trouble for asking this, but are totally healthy mentally, and God knows, I don't know how many of us are, um, when they come into sex work, or are they coming into sex work in, 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 a, in a lot or most cases because of their past experiences? I would say they're coming into sex work because of their past experiences. Okay. And what are some of the past experiences that that lead people into sex work? I'm not sure. I can't speak to that as a whole, but with my clientele, the themes that that are common are like the ones that I said, relationships, poor relationship, unhealthy relationships, not just mm-hmm. with a significant other. Um, it can be with previous employers, both in and out of sex work, mm-hmm. um, family, you know, toxic family members. Yeah. Um that's a big one. That's a real big one. Mm-hmm. How yeah, about their? How about trauma. how about their? How about their upbringing? How does your upbringing affect somebody getting into sex work as they're as they're being raised by their parents? One of my methodologies that I work from is a foundation of attachment styles. Um, hmm. Attachment. So one of the first things I do with clients when they come in is I send them a short quiz that they complete. They send me the results and it basically gives me their attachment style. From there, I ask them some questions through a conversation similar like the one we're having today. Um, And I evaluate their adverse childhood experiences. Hmm. And then from there, I'm able to glean kind of what their childhood was like. Mostly what it ends up is, you know, people have an insecure or an unhealthy attachment style. So we latch on to different things in different ways because it makes us feel safe. Um, What what is attachment style? So attachment style is basically the way you interact with people. Hmm. Um, There's four main ones. There's a secure attachment style, an anxious attachment style avoidant which is avoidant and then fearful avoidant which is kind of a disorganized like that's the type of person where you're like i want to be in a relationship and i'm going to make this relationship happen but the moment that motherfucker gets serious you start Mm. you know blocking them and putting them on shine and not wanting to talk to them ah yes yes i dated one of those um so (laughs) you know she had she had all she had all kinds of issues so how important is a sex worker support system and how diverse should their support system be? I think a sex worker's diver- uh, support system should be as diverse as possible. It should not just be completely other sex workers. It mm-hmm. should not be completely just, you know, outside of the sex work. It should be a little bit of everyone. And it should mm-hmm. be people that support you, but at the same time hold you accountable. And that's where it gets tricky. Because a lot of times, as people, as a person, as part of someone's support system, we want to we want to help them, 
And the last thing we want to do is piss them off. Yeah. But in reality, what are we doing? We're enabling that person. We're enabling whatever behavior, whatever thing they're doing that's not serving them right. right. So we're not doing them any good. So okay. if you're going to be a part, you know, as you're picking your support system, try and think about like, okay, um, Monique has a big mouth, but I know she'll tell me when I'm doing something good, but I also know she'll hold me accountable. If I tell her, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to do this. And then I come back three weeks later and she's like, all right, where's the progress for this? Show me the you know, accountability partner. And I don't have it to show it. She's going to call me out on it. <laughs> and, and I mean, but, but do people actually do that consciously? Do what part? Pick their support system. Yes. Really? Okay. That's, that's interesting. Um, and, and I assume that a support system is important. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It helps when you're burnt out it helps when you're getting past that honeymoon phase mm. or if in your, you're in that honeymoon phase and you have, you know, a person who's grounded in your support system that can tell you, Hey, you know, things are going really good right now, but I want you to be able to know that it's not always going to happen like that. Right. So instead of going and spending, you know, I don't know, a thousand dollars or spending all this on outfits or on cars or on a lifestyle, how about you save it? How about you invest it in this? Or how about this? And how important is a support system for sex workers versus non-sex workers? I would say they're both as important. There's not, there's okay. not one. Okay. Yeah. What are some positive coping skills that work with sex workers? Um, so the first one would be being mindful. So mindfulness is one of those things that um, has been pretty big recently. Yes. Um, and being mindful is just being fully present and aware of like where we are and what mm -hmm. we're doing. Yeah. It helps us not be overly reactive to something or overwhelmed by what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, when I ask people, can you be mindful? They look at me like with this blank stare and they're yeah. like, you want what? me to sit there and meditate? I'm like, no, no, that's not what mindful means. Mindful is, you know, there's mindful breathing where, yeah, you take a moment, sometimes 30 seconds, a minute, mm -hmm. and you, you know, take a deep breath. If you have one of those fancy smartwatches that usually has something on there, take a minute of mindfulness and it, you know, yeah. times you with your heart rate and stuff. Um, that was irritating me. I finally turned it <laughs> off. Oh, you have to start it again then. Maybe on your own terms, though. <laughs> Okay. Um, mindful breathing. Then there's just concentration, being mm -hmm. aware of your body, being aware of what you're eating. A lot of us, me included, you know, we go out to eat for lunch or dinner or whatever, breakfast. Mm -hmm. And we sit there and we're sitting with someone. But, you know, I'll be damned if I don't put my phone on the table to make sure nothing comes through. So yeah. in that moment, yeah. I'm not being mindful of what I'm doing. I'm not being respectful either, but that's a different topic. Well, sign um, of our times, unfortunately. Yeah. But releasing tension, walking, those mm -hmm. are some easy coping skills on how to be mindful. Mm -hmm. um, some other coping skills that I utilize with clients is being aware of where they feel it in their bodies. Hmm. And so maybe throughout this podcast, someone's going to listen to it. And maybe I said something or you said something earlier and they feel it in their thighs our mm. thighs hold a lot of stuff we always go for our guts like our bellies or our shoulders mm. sometimes our chest 
but a lot of people don't even acknowledge like that their thighs get tense. Like you start to flex your butt, you start to flex your legs. Um, Another part that often gets ignored is your tongue. Your tongue in an upright position will make you stressed all the way through your jaw, your neck, all the way down. Interesting. I, I got to tell you, this is fascinating. I'm learning a lot. And a lot of the things you're saying, I'm I'm relating to my own experiences, my own life, my own stresses, my own, uh, uh, you know, relationships. And uh, yeah, I, I, I got to tell you already, it's, uh, it, it's helping me. So thank you. Um, how do sex workers suffer from body insecurity? That's a common one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, earlier I had mentioned something about, I don't know, I think feeling like imposter syndrome ish. Right. And so that's kind of just feeling like, like, how'd you get here? Someone's going to find me out. Someone's going to know that I'm not like this badass person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot of body insecurities in sex workers. Um, I think, I think because of how they have to portray themselves, yeah. whether it's camming or whether it's dancing or whether it's performing, they know they can't be that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, although they still try. <laughs> and that trying is what kind of eats them up. Yeah, I bet it would. I bet it would be exhausting. Yeah. Um, so when I want... Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was going to, I was going to say when I work with clients and they tell me, no, I'm having a lot of body insecurities. What I, what I try and help them, help them learn about more is kind of where those insecurities are coming from. Is it something Mm -hmm. that like society really expects them to look like 24 seven, or is it the narrative that they feed themselves? Because a lot of us feed ourselves, even myself, I'm, I'm not in sex work, but when I when I work, I want to look presentable, and my my version sure. of presentable, like I said, is not a cookie cutter version. So I, I want to look nice. I mm-hmm. wear a little bit of makeup. I have most of my makeup tattooed, <laughs> so that's easy. But I want to mm-hmm. look decent. I have my nails done, mm-hmm. and there's some times where I'm like, okay, I'm human. I don't want to dress up today. Right. I just want to throw my hair in a bun and and mm-hmm. come into work. Right. And then it what happens then is I start feeding myself or reinforcing this negative narrative of this lie that I tell myself that I'm not good enough, that I don't look like a therapist that because I don't look like a therapist, I'm not a good therapist. And I think a lot of the sex workers do that. We feed ourselves this negative, negative narrative or negative facts that we think are facts that support our negative narrative. Yeah. You sound like a great therapist. So <laughs> thank you. So how important is an effective work-life balance for sex workers? I think it's very important. It's as important as anything else. They need to be able to to differentiate the two. And that's where, you know, that support system comes in. That's why you can't just have, you know, the same type of support system because mm-hmm. they're gonna they're not gonna be able to balance for you. Okay. So uh, how do interpersonal relationships such as dating or being in a relationship affect sex workers' mental health and their work? That would be another um, another podcast, Bruce, but in a nutshell. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have a time limit, so go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, in a nutshell, though, I think it, it affects sex workers greatly. Um, there's a lot of times where it uh, 
you know, they can't have a relationship with certain performers. Yeah. I think that's a pretty open thing. Or they have an agent, if they have an agent, they have an agent telling them, hey, you know, maybe you should slow down on this or, or maybe you shouldn't, you know, be seen out with them. And, you mm-hmm. know, to put those kinds of restrictions on people who mm-hmm. are being vulnerable and right. have a vulnerable job is really, is really hard. It's really defeating. And it kind mm. of goes back to that feeding themselves a negative narrative. So you don't know what's going on in that other person's head. So if you're an agent and I'm telling you, hey, Bruce, you can't, you can't see Monique no more. And you're already in your head about how, you know, you shouldn't be in that relationship. What's that going to do? That's going to support that negative lie. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're down this rabbit hole you can't find yourself out of. Do you ever come across a client where you advise them to get out of sex work for their mental health? As of yet, I have not. I do advise Hmm. them to. You know, I do advise them to make sure that they're setting good boundaries, that they're respecting themselves and mm-hmm. others. Yeah. If they find that that work-life balance is more work than life, then I'll sit with them and we'll figure out a plan. Like I, I've had clients who've taken out their itinerary with me and been like, okay, I'm going to Miami for four days and I'm supposed to be camming this day and trading this day and doing this. And so we go through each activity and we determine, okay, how is this going to support me? That's Mm -hmm. one of my biggest questions that I ask my clients to ask themselves. How Mm -hmm. is this going to support me? Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine the ones with families, that gets even more complicated. Definitely. Uh, What are, I mean, what are some of those, those additional complications with their schedule and their kids? The majority of the ones, like I said, the ones that have children have a strong support system that you know takes care of their kids if they're kind of away at shoots for a long period of time mm-hmm. um so they have like reliable babysitters that's super important trustworthy babysitters mm-hmm. <laughs> more so important or they have like an older child that mm-hmm. can care for the other ones yeah okay so how has the pandemic affected uh, sex workers mental health i'm sure it's been devastating yeah, I would say from what I gather from my clients so far, it, it has been. There's been a lot of transitions mm-hmm. that sex workers have gone to or had to go through. A lot of them that were working kind of in person, like at local gentlemen clubs and stuff, had to move everything online to right. coming to phone sex work, to all the other sex work that's available. Mm-hmm. And some of them had good resolve from that and others didn't. Yeah. Um, but they're still struggling to going back. They still don't know if they want to go back because they haven't been back for like two years. Yeah. I would imagine it would be traumatic for many sex workers um, to risk um, getting COVID. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of the places locally here, they all require you know, some type of COVID testing in addition to the regular testing that goes on. Um, Some of the producers I work with, they require everyone on set, you know, to have a COVID test. Mm -hmm. Um, And if there's any sign of any kind of, you know, immune system stuff going on, even if it's just a cold, they, they just cancel things. Okay. Well, at least there's some safeguards in place. Yeah. That's a good thing. So, Monique, how can someone contact you? 
Um, they can contact me through Pineapple Support. There's other wonderful therapists on there also. Yes. Um, you can usually go and look on there and click on your state. Pineapple Support, because Pineapple Support does offer counseling and coaching. Mm -hmm. um, if you, like I have clients who live in New Zealand. Hmm. Um, I have some that live in Japan. And right. so as long as we work out the time difference, I am able to see anyone from anywhere. Um, That's all. And, and how about your private practice? How yeah. can someone? And then oh. if, yeah. So you go um, online. It's Key Rose LLC, and mm -hmm. I have a Twitter, Instagram, all the social media stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Great. Hey, one more question, and we really didn't cover this about pineapple support. You know, when um, when Leia first started pineapple support, I was thrilled. And obviously, there was a real emergency with um, performers taking their own life. Um, talk about the importance of something like pineapple support for uh, the adult industry and how pineapple support needs uh, companies and individuals and adult to support it financially. Well, without, I know with my clients, without without pineapple support, they would have never gotten help. And I often, you know, personally just wonder, like, if, if they wouldn't have gotten help, would they even be on this earth today? Yeah. Um, pineapple support continues to help everyone. So they offer, like you said earlier, up to 16 sessions. So if a performer is right. in a financial bind where they can't afford it, they will cover the entire cost. Yeah all 16 sessions, mm -hmm. um, no matter their gender, ethnicity, social status, age, sexual orientation, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. um, they have an ever-growing team of sex worker-friendly kink-aware therapists like myself to see you face-to-face -face or online. Mm -hmm. um, they also have, I believe, a 24-7 like, connect to a listener online that you yeah. can click on. Um, you can even call them. They have support groups that are free. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you sign up, you can you can look at all of that stuff online. Great. Or even without signing up, you can look at it online. Can people request you there? Yeah. Yep. Ah. There's a place that they can fill out where it's like a request therapy. Um, and then from there, you you can put, you know, the, you want therapy with Dr. Monique. They'll place well, you with me. Well, I know for a fact in talking to Leia that, you know, one of the um, unfortunate um, the results of the pandemic and the current economy is, you know, support and sponsorship is down. Like I said, we continue to support it and because we truly believe in their mission. And I hope anyone and everyone listening will take that into account and go to pineapplesupport.org and um, really give very generously because the work that Dr. Monique and the other therapists do at Pineapple Support is just so, so important. So, uh, Dr. Monique, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk, and I hope we'll get a chance to do this again soon. Yes, thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure. My broker tip today is part three of how to buy a website. Last week, we talked about finding the right site to buy. Once you find it, what do you do? Once you've either reached the broker of the site or the seller, review the information about the site. The broker should provide you with the following. 
a profit and loss statement of at least three years that's up to date. If it's June and they give you financials only through the end of the previous year, you need to see what the site is doing now, not last year. If it's a pay site, get a username and password so that you can review the content. Ask how often the site is updated. Get some history on the site. How long has it been in business? The story behind the site and why the seller wants to sell. Get an inventory of the content and how much of it has current technologies. Find out if all the content is exclusive to that site. Ask the seller if the content has ever been on VOD or DVD. See if there are any clip stores the content is on. Find out how much the content costs to produce and what the current cost of production is. Very importantly, see if this operation can run without the owner. Do they do the shooting themselves or do they hire someone to do it? And if there's an outside producer, will that person continue to provide content for the site? Find out how many new joins and rebuilds there are a day. Ask them what's the retention rate on the site. And find out if they do advertising for the site and where they get their traffic. Ask for Google Analytics access so you can see where the traffic comes from. This information will give you the opportunity to truly evaluate what it is you're buying. Then if everything looks good to you and you want the site, it's time to make an offer. Only you can decide what the site is worth to you. If you're working with a broker, such as, oh, I don't know, adult site broker, of course your broker can help you determine the value of the site. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week, we'll be speaking with porn actress Sika Black. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Dr. Monique. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman.